A few weeks ago, we took a camping trip, talking about something good for your marriage, right? A camping trip will uh, test your marriage and help your marriage. We went on a camping trip with our kids to uh, Lake Blackshear to Georgia Veterans State Park. I've never been there before. And while we were there, uh, Mike, if you want to hand me my prop here. So while we were there, we were out by the lake one day, and I was watching some kayakers just rowing on Lake Blackshear. And if you ever kayaked or paddled, uh, been a rowboat or a canoe before, uh, you know the drill. You know, the, the harder you go or the, I guess, the more, like, fluid you go, I guess I would say. But definitely strength and endurance are important the faster your kayak goes. And so there were quite a few people out on their kayak on the lake. But then just there was one kayak that just effortlessly just went past all the other kayakers. Was the guy, was he more physically fit? No, it didn't look like it. Was he working harder? Definitely not. This guy had a sail on his kayak. And you can rig this up. I didn't know this. You can rig up a sail where, I mean, you can get speeds, incredible speeds going on a kayak. And I thought that this was just a great metaphor for the Christian life because I want to really compare this idea and, and this idea to so many times we focus in on legalism and effort and, you know, I just got to go harder and try harder. And I think that sometimes that can be counterproductive to our Christian life if when we focus in on just us and our efforts alone. But also the mystery involved in this is the fact it isn't just let go and let God. And so there's mystery. I'll talk about that in a second in this whole idea of our transformation to be more like Jesus Christ. And I really want to speak to that this morning. And I've used this quote before, and it's by a guy from way back in the, I think, like the 15th century, uh, a French uh, a guy, a philosopher, and he said this. He said, the wind of God is always blowing but you must hoist your sail. God's wind's always blowing, but as believers, as Christians, we have responsibility in this process. And I know maybe some of you, like, metaphors are difficult for you, right? Like, you're like, give me the straight truth. I'm, a, I'm a, like a person who just needs straight, just give me the facts kind of person. Well, the Bible is full of metaphors. Paul talks about running the race. He talks about fighting the fight, all right? He's not fighting or running He's talking about living the Christian life is, can be pictured in these ways. So images and metaphors are used to give us information, truth, that is difficult to grasp if we don't have those there before us. And so some of this requires you to use your imagination. Now, some of you are like, I don't, you know, imagination, what's that about? But anything that you imagine, what are you having for lunch? What would you like to have for lunch today? All right, anything that's not right in front of you is using your imagination. So don't make too much of that, all right? What I'm talking about here is allowing God to just reveal to you the mystery of this process through the image that Scripture employs. In fact, last week we talked about the verse in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. I'm going to just speak to that for a second again. He, he, Paul writes, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So Paul, is he in childbirth? Uh, no, he's in anguish that felt like childbirth because he wants Christ to be formed in these Christians' life. And so just kind of recap what we talked about last week is Christ-likeness conforming more and more to the image of Jesus Christ is God's goal for your life, okay? That's God's goal for your life. That's progressive, and we never reach perfection in this lifetime 
but more and more we should be resembling Christ. So think about your life. Think about your actions. Think about the way that you act around people at work or people at school or those you know, relatives when you go on a, you know, a family vacation or when you go to a family reunion. Wherever you're at, you're representing Jesus Christ and you're to show Christ more and more because he is being produced, his, his life is being produced in you because of the work of the Holy Spirit. So last week we talked about how that God wants all the pieces of your life to come together. And so I challenged you, I said, think about the different pieces of your life. God doesn't want the pieces of your life, he wants all of your life. And as that comes together more and more, then we're conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says in Romans. He wants us to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. So today as we talk about this process some more and talk about our mission, which is helping each other know and follow Jesus, I'm going to talk about this process that's a bit of a mystery. Because think about this. Is the transformation into the image of Christ the work of God in his grace? Answer that in your mind. Is the transformation into the image of Christ a work of God in his grace? Yes or no? All right. Thank you. Do we make decisions and choices that enable us to engage in this process more fully? Answer, yep, yeah, we do. We, we are part of this process. And so we cooperate in this process. And I feel like that so many times the gap between, for so many Christians, the gap between the high ideals of the Bible and the reality of your everyday life and maybe the frustrations that you feel living the Christian life, that you're just paddling and paddling and just going in circles and not getting anywhere, can be really come down to this fact that sometimes we just don't understand how these work together and how that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And so today we're just going to be really looking primarily at one verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so if your, your Bible flipped there, I'm going to read it, and then we'll pray, and then we'll look at this for a few minutes. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, Paul writes this, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, yet it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word that gives us truth, it gives us life, it gives us you, Jesus. And God, I pray that today that we will just um, open our lives, our hearts to the work that you're doing. God, help us to know better as a result of this sermon how to cooperate with your grace in order to be conformed in your, into the image of Jesus Christ so we can impact this world for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the wind of God is always blowing. We have to hoist ourselves. How do we do that? How do we hoist ourselves? Well, I think this verse gives us some great insights. First of all, Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul says that we have to believe what God says about us. All right? We have to believe what God says about us. Because if you know the life of Paul, Paul was not only not working with God, he was working against God. He was an enemy of the cross. Paul's life before Christ was orchestrating the imprisonment of Christians because he wanted to stop this Jesus movement in its tracks 
because as a good Jew who was following Judaism in first century Judaism and, and, and the, all that goes on with the temple and the synagogues and the worship of Yahweh, that when Jesus came, Jesus brought in a new covenant, which we'll see again next week in 2 Corinthians as we return back there. And Paul thought that this new thing that was happening was heresy. It was a threat to true God worship. And so not only did Paul was he against it, but he was trying to destroy it. But God came and met Paul on the road to Damascus. And so anything and everything that happened with Paul was a result of what God did, his grace. God confronted him and God transformed him from an enemy of the cross to a devoted, probably the most passionate follower of Christ that's ever lived. God commissioned Paul to take the gospel to the world. And God didn't do this. It was clear, right? Paul didn't deserve it. He was persecuting the things of God. He didn't earn it. So why did he get it? It was all grace that God came to him. He was God's enemy, and God came for him. What grace, and can we say amazing grace? I mean, is there really any other way to say it than amazing grace? And we can sit here and we can say, well, yeah, man, that is true. Amazing grace for the Apostle Paul. But it's the same is true for every follower of Jesus Christ in this room. Paul said this in Romans 5 He says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, I think sometimes in our modern Christianity that we can kind of focus in so much on the angle of that I choose God, like I'm in control of my life, and so therefore, when I'm ready for God, I'm going to pick God, and I'll choose him, and thinking back to my life, through my life, I chased after God, and from your perspective, it may feel like legitimately that it was like mostly you in this process, right, but the thing is, those who have been Christians, and the longer you've been a believer, you realize that God was chasing after you hard long before you chased after him, that God was lining up circumstances, people, situations, and events throughout your life in order to be yelling and screaming and waving at you that you're here today and not somewhere else, right? That's God's grace. And that's why Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 and 4, he said, you were dead, all right? You were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. But then verse 4, he flips and he says, but God. But God being what? Rich in mercy, because of his great love which, with which he loved us, even when we were, what, dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So God took the Apostle Paul, and God took you, and God took me, dead people, and made us alive in Christ. So there's no chance in the world that we could say, I deserve it, I earned it, I figured it out, I came to this grand conclusion, absolutely not. God's grace brought you to life. And God's grace continues to work out the transformation into the image of Christ in your life. And we believe what God says in his word because of what Christ did for us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Christ dwells in you? It's hard. It's hard to imagine. It, it, it takes some of that imagination I was talking about. Christ dwells in you in some kind of supernatural, may I say even mystical manner that Christ dwells in you. 
Ephesians tells us we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. This is not something that Paul's writing about in the future, that we're going to be blessed, but we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. We've been united with Christ. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Romans tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And here's one that oftentimes we all know, right? All things work together for the good of those who love God. Doesn't mean all things work together for what might appear to be good, but for the good. And so the song that I learned last week at Passion talks about blessing God no matter what you're going through. Blessing God when things are great, when the harvest is plentiful. But we bless God when things are tough and things are difficult and tragedy comes. That's what the Spirit of God enables us to do. The Spirit of God enables us to say, God, I bless you because I trust you. I know that your love is great for me. And you prove that through Jesus Christ dying on the cross for me. And he came for me when I could not come for him because I was dead. That's the first thing we must remember, that what God has done for us in Christ. And so Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am because otherwise I would still be a bad, in bad shape dead on my way to hell and destruction. The second thing Paul says is we need to know and remember our purpose for living. Look at verse 10 again. And his grace toward me was not in vain. All right. I know we don't say things that way. His grace toward me was not in vain. But what he's saying is his grace toward me, this grace that he poured out on me that I did not deserve, it wasn't wasted. Okay. It wasn't wasted on me. When God's grace met Paul, something radical happened. And God changed Paul dramatically. Not just positionally, which is an amazing thing that we could spend months of sermons just talking about our positional change in Christ. But God changed Paul practically. Paul became a different person because this grace wasn't wasted on him. It wasn't in vain. Because our appreciation for grace empowers and motivates us to serve him. Our, the more we understand and comprehend and become aware of the grace of God, the more amazing that we see him and his greatness, and the more we respond to him just in humility and gratitude and understanding. And that's what happened with Paul. And this is why Paul could write that, that, that why he lived his life. For me to live is Christ, he said in Philippians 1, 21. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So he's like, okay, I'm getting Jesus either way, right? I'm getting Jesus here on this earth because he loves me and he gave himself for me. But if you kill me, then I see Jesus face to face. So what can you do to me? What can people do to harm me? Paul's faith was incredible. And so everything in his life pointed to Christ. Every piece of his life was about Jesus because he understood the significance of the sacrifice that Jesus made. And so Paul joyfully gave his life away because of what God did for him. In fact, if you think back to that verse in Galatians again where he said, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Paul's saying, I go to whatever extreme necessary as a pastor, as the one who founded your church, and I'm giving my life for you, and I want to see Christ formed in you. And maybe you're like, why did he say again? Because if you know the background of Galatians, that once he started this church, and these Judaizers, these people who were coming in said, yeah, you need Jesus, plus you need the Mosaic Law. You need to uh, follow these laws and be a good Jew as well as Jesus. You need both of these. And Paul says, here we go again, all right? You're buying into this lie. I don't care if 
if, if an angel from heaven comes and tells you a different gospel than what I've given to you, let them be accursed. Let them be eternally damned because I gave you the truth that came from Jesus Christ. And here we go again. I'm going to labor and strain for you, and I'm not going to quit. And I don't care if you reject me. I don't care what happens. I'm going to keep pressing forward because I want to see Christ formed in you. Amazing. So let me ask you this. Why does it take so much motivation, encouragement, pep talks, feelings, mountaintops, experiences to get you motivated to respond to the grace of God? A few weeks ago, I had this pretty cool experience, all right? So my brother-in-law, he bought the Tesla Plaid and the, I, I know nothing about cars, right? But he said, I got to take you out in this car. And I'd heard that Teslas were pretty cool, all right? The newer ones and these that are supercharged or whatever they are. I don't know, not supercharged. That's probably not the right term, but you, you know what I'm saying. They're, they're, they're powerful, okay? I had no idea. All right, so he took us out. I think it was on Christmas night. And all he did was just touch the accelerator. And this car took off like a rocket ship. I mean, it was crazy. There was no priming. There was no prepping. It was like zero to whatever, like in a matter of, of literally seconds. I mean, is anybody, has anybody done that? I mean, it, it's crazy. And then I had to go on the internet and watch these videos, and they're like, these Teslas are, are racing Ferraris and Porsches and, and, and these cars and beating these cars. Why? Because there's no need to prime. I mean, I go out in my car in the morning. It's not warmed up. I push that accelerator off the floor, and it just like chugs along, right? It doesn't get going. But this thing, man, you touch it, it's like, psh, nope. No priming needed, just boom, go. It's going. Listen, God doesn't just want Christians who are primed and ready to go by elders and deacons and leaders. Every single one of us have the same Holy Spirit within us. And, I, and, I, and, and as your pastor, I say this lovingly, honestly, lovingly, and I think our elders would say the same sentiment, that while we know that everybody's at a different maturity level here, I think... That so many times the reason why it takes so much priming and so much prodding and so much pushing and so much encouraging to get Christians moving is because we're so saturated with the stuff of the world that we're, we're spending six days fully captivated by just being in the world and taking in the world's values, even though we think, oh, we can, we can separate these out, right? We can, we can discern but we allow this stuff just to come in and in and in and into us. And so we arrive at church, and it takes a good 20, 30 minutes just before we even, like, like amen in our hearts, right? Like, it takes a while for us to get there. And that's not the way that it should be. Christ is being formed in us. And when we know and remember our purpose for living, and we keep that in our minds, in the forefront of our minds, and we are spending time with Jesus. Look. I know, spending time in the Word can become like this. Like, work, 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 paddle, 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 effort, effort, effort. You know why? It's not because the Word is boring or because you're not quite awake. The reason why is because we are looking at it as something to check off our list. Oh, I did my Bible reading today. Versus, I'm carving out time here to spend with focused, intentional time with my loving Savior, Jesus Christ.
with the God who created this world. And he wants my attention. He wants my focus. He wants me to respond to his love and his grace. We're all guilty. I'm guilty of sometimes this is just a checkbox. But we can be intentional. And we can allow grace just to motivate us to each and every day to say, God, I want to live for your purposes today. I don't want it just to be about paddling hard. I want the wind in my sail. I want to feel, God, that, that I have put myself in a position where I'm on the same wavelength that you, imperfectly, yes, but I'm, I want to be about your business, and I just want to feel that your wind's blowing me, and, and it's in my back, and it's pushing me forward. And it's doing way more than I could ever do on my own. But when we default to just effort, and I'll say more about that in a second, it gets so discouraging. But I want you to know this, number th- three, the third thing, that grace-driven effort is expected. Grace-driven effort is expected. Look what Paul says in our text. On the contrary, so it wasn't wasted in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. And so Paul says, as a result of God's grace and his love, man, I rolled up my sleeves and I got to work. He said, something happened. When God's grace and his truth was revealed to me. You see, love and faith and obedience are naturally connected. Love, faith, and obedience are connected to one another. It's not, I love Jesus, now let me go and work hard to obey him. They're interconnected to the way that what we love, we just do, right? What we love, we do. I think so many people think of doing and serving like this cartoon that I came across this last week. I thought it was kind of funny. Go ahead and put that on the screen. A little cartoon. Um, yeah, I mean, and that's silly, but it's kind of funny, right? That, like, we, that's just absurd, right? But I think that sometimes the way we look at living the Christian life, right? Like, it's, it's grace that God saved me. Now I need laws and vows and commitments and structure in order to now live the Christian life. And that's the wrong way to look at it. That's the wrong way to look at it. And when you look at it that way, I promise you, you're going to fall headfirst into legalism if you're not already there. We need to see that love, faith, and obedience just are interconnected, and we do what we love. And so the, the, the more that we receive God's love, the more that we comprehend God's love, and the magnitude and the greatness of God's love, the more that we see what he did for us on the cross and what he did, it continues to do for us by living in us, the more we will be just want to respond to the truth of God's work and his word. Paul said this in Philippians 2.13, for God is working in you. He's not only working you, he's giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That's obedience. He's giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. This all flows out of intimacy. And so please know that grace is not opposed to effort. It's not opposed to effort. What it's opposed to is earning. The attitude that I do the dance, then I get the hugs, right? That if I do the stuff, and and this is what's so tough is so many of you just were raised in that kind of home, you know, that our society is set up that way, that if you do good for your employer, you're rewarded. If you do bad, you, you get fired or get written up. That's the way the world works. Grace just blows our minds because it's so different. But it's not opposed to making efforts. We work out of 
the effort, I mean, out of the grace. Our efforts come from grace. And the, so that's what Paul says. He says, I worked harder than any of them, but not I, but who Christ who worked in me. And God's at work within us. And so how do we live our lives? I was reading a book the other day, and it said something of this nature, and I thought it was just really so simple, but it was really startling. And it just kind of woke me up. Like, what do the angels do? What do angels do? Right? You're like, oh, that's a pretty deep question. right? They do a lot, but primarily, generally, what do they do? They do whatever God wants them to do, right? That's why Satan got booted, right? And that's why that he's our adversary, because he disobeyed God. But angels serve God in heaven, right? We don't know exactly what that looks like, mystery there too, but angels serve God in heaven. But what did the Lord's Prayer, what did Jesus say? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so our focus in our efforts from the grace that God has given to us and continues to pour out on us is, God, I want to do your will on earth like the angels are doing it in heaven. When they say, when, when God says do, they do. When they, he says go, they go. That's what God desires for us. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Paul says, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. God's amazing grace shows Paul how he can just make these incredible efforts for the kingdom so he can run the race, fight the fight, do what God had called him to do. And it was all motivated by the love that Jesus had for him. We love because he first loved us, First John. Thanks again, going back to effort. There, I think there's two dangers here. If you do sermon follow-ups, this is going to be a good discussion question. We start back today, by the way. The Sunday groups, Wednesday groups started last Wednesday. I hope you're involved in a group. You need to be involved in a group. You need to be discussing, pouring out your heart, accountability. You need all these things. But two dangers here. The first danger is just like lazy river Christianity. Lazy river. Oh, I'm saved. I'm just going to lay back, enjoy the ride, right? The ride right into heaven. I love what D.A. Carson says. He says, people, referring to Christians, we don't drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We just don't drift that way, do we? When we drift, we drift away from those things. So grace-driven effort is required. You set your alarm earlier so you can spend time with your Creator before you head off into work. That takes effort, right? That's a sacrifice is involved in that but it's driven by grace. We don't just say, well, I'll figure this out along the way. God's working in me, so he's going to do it, right? And I'm just going to coast along. But then maybe the opposite danger, which sometimes is very, very sly, the devil uses this because oftentimes when we're good legalists and we obey the rules and we do the stuff, we get rewarded for that. And so I, I think robo-Christianity is very deceptive. Those who are making the effort and paddling hard and serving the church and doing all the stuff, but they have no intimacy with Jesus, and so they're doing the dance so God will reward them and give them the hugs. They're like, if I do the stuff, then God, you're going to reward me. And it becomes all about, really about us, 
and it becomes about our efforts, our resolutions, or many of you maybe even your response to fear. Like, you know, you're just afraid. Like, if you don't do the stuff, then God's going to zap you or zap your kids or give your mom cancer or something like that. That's, that is what drives this rowboat mentality, those type of things. And it's all about the externals. It's all about impressing people. I remember when I first moved to Bainbridge back in 2004, even though I grew up in West Virginia, semi-south, but not fully south. And in Texas, kind of his own thing when we lived there. But when we moved to Bainbridge, it, it was funny. And, and Mitch and I have talked about this because everybody says, all the guys, yes, sir, yes, sir, right? That's just something you train your kids, yes, sir. And I remember this kid that was in the youth group here, and he was like, does everything I said, yes, sir, uh, do this, do this, yes, sir. You know, and, and, and I was like, man, this is a great kid, man. He's so respectful. Like, he, he just, he's just like the perfect child, right? And then we go on this ski trip, and he goes with us, and he was like, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. And his girlfriend are there, and they sneak out in the middle of the night, and, and uh, the thing, and I'm like, what happened? Like, this was a good kid. This is a great kid. He's a yes, sir kid. That's what I'm talking about. Like, we got this superficial, external, we can just blend in and do good, but our hearts are far from God. And that's this rowboat mentality. And so please be aware of the dangers of both. And the mystery that's involved in, yes, I worked harder than them all, but what Paul finishes off, though it was not I, all right? I can't explain to that to you fully, right? Though it wasn't I, but the grace of God that is with me. So we can't take credit for anything. It's all about Jesus. It's all what Jesus has done for us and continues to do for us. Grace isn't just something that got you in. Grace is what continues to just inspire and compel and motivate you to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So can we say it's, it's not about us? It's not about us. It's about him. And here's, here's another tricky thing. Paul, who wrote these words, also told the churches, he said in Corinthians, he said, be imitators of me as I, as I am of Christ. So being all about Jesus doesn't mean we just suddenly disappear, all right? I mean, I, I remember it used to be like this. Somebody would say, hey, great sermon. I'd be like, oh, thanks. You know, I'm so embarrassed. God uses people, right? God uses his people. But we know it, it, it's, it's tricky, but when it becomes about us, and we all have our struggles where our root idols influence power, control, comfort, these things motivate us. In different ways, but we can become, it can become about us, just one degree, and all of a sudden, like, that was a great sermon. Oh, thank you. You know, oh, I feel so good and significant and important now. Or it can be, thank you, and then in the heart, God, it's all about Jesus. This is about Jesus. You see what I'm talking about? It's, 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 it's so marginally, just a, a, a little shift in attitude that it becomes about us and about legalism. It becomes about us living out what we can do for God and God rewarding us versus us living to bless God and our lives being a living sacrifice for him. That's what Paul understood. And so he said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I think if there's one thing that I love most, if I could really define one thing besides just being Jesus-centered about Grace Church that I love, I love the fact that this church is so... Um, it makes it a priority to be elder-led 
a plurality of leadership, not being about one guy. You know, I don't want this church and your life on my shoulders. And I don't want to feel like that your spiritual growth and everything that happens in your life is on me, right? And one thing that we see from Scripture is when Paul went and started churches, he started churches that had a plurality of leadership. He left elders in place. He said, okay, I'm training you guys up. Now I'm going to leave you, and you guys take care of this church and help this church grow. Yes, there were times when he had to come back, and these guys were young Christians, baby Christians as well. And so there were times when he had to come back and had to really lay down the law and encourage, as we see in 2 Corinthians. But he left elders in charge of the church. And I love the fact that in ministry here at Grace Church, it's not about John Woodrum. It's not about John Woodrum, Mitch Hines, Roy Jager, and Jeremy Loki. We have a plurality plurality of leadership. We have other people who are equally just as pastoral as I am. Their job and their calling is just as much a pastor as my calling. I just do it vocationally, but they've been called the same way I've been called. And so a few weeks ago, we voted on a new elder candidate, which was Brennan Webb. And today, I just want to pause during this time in the service before I finish up and just invite Brennan and Kathy to come up here for a time of what we call ordination, which you won't find that in the Bible, a time of just praying over him and his ministry here. And so if you guys would just come up here to the front, I'm going to ask our elders to gather around. And I'm going to encourage our elders at this time that if your life has become about something other than about Jesus, even just that one degree shift, let's get back to what we're about, which is Jesus. Come right here, you guys. Just sit right here on the, in the middle. And I, I hope you'll get a chance to get to know Brendan and Kathy and just allow them to invest in um, your life because they have so much to offer. So I ask you guys just to come around side them and just scoot right in here and, and just put your hands on, the, on these guys and we're gonna pray for them and just ask God that his blessing be upon them. And I ask you to pray alongside me as I pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the way that you have put together your church. It's not our church, it's your church. And God, I thank you for the wisdom of leadership and giving us shepherds who love and care for this flock. And God, I thank you for the desire for Brennan, the desire you put in with him to, to serve your body and minister for you. And for Kathy, as a team together, to serve Grace Church in a very intentional, focused way. And God, I pray that you'll encourage him through the ups and downs of life as he leads his children and models Christian behavior and teaches them as Kathy, as she uh, dives in every day into their lives and just loves on them and shares your truth with them and teaches them. God, I pray that you will give them the motivation, the energy, and help that to come from their intimacy with you. And God, I thank you for the Christ-likeness that was identified in their lives as they were nominated for this position as elder, and for the confirmation that you put on this body to confirm him unanimously, just so overwhelming positively, because they recognize within his life the picture of Christ, the image of Christ. And God, I pray you'll give them wisdom and guidance. And God, we pray that you'll help us to love them well in all that they're going through and continue to go through. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So let me close this message with your head, heart, and hands application. The head, God's grace motivates obedience and discipline. 
God's grace does that. Motivates discipline and obedience. Do you need a grace check in your life? Do you need to reflect upon the gospel? Do you need to believe the gospel? Do you need to just pause each morning and just really respond to what God has done because you're so distracted, you're so ADD, you're all over the place. And God, I need you just to remind me, just your grace is great and it's incredible. And so ask yourself, are you motivated to seek Jesus' glory and honor more than you are to seek your own? That's a tough question. Are you more motivated to seek Jesus' glory and honor than you are to seek your own? That's a heart check. That's where change starts. If you're willing to really, truly ask yourself these questions that we put up each week for the heart. And then the hands. And this is one that is very practical. You can do immediately, today, right now. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may find We may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let me read that again. Let us then with confidence. Why do you have confidence? Because of Jesus. You draw near to the throne of grace, God's grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I don't know about you, but I need it. We all need it. And I think the author isn't saying when we get into crisis, he's saying... We always need God's grace to live the life that he's called us to live. Will you respond to this? This is the vision of Grace Church. If we're going to help each other know and follow Jesus, it comes out of our intimacy with Jesus Christ and knowing him. And then radical obedience follows. We serve each other when it's uncomfortable, when it's inconvenient, when it's difficult, when it requires extreme forgiveness when it requires us to die to ourselves and put others above ourselves. That's the grace that God gives to love and serve each other. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the mystery of your word that you're so great, you're so amazing that we just can't figure this out in two seconds, God, but it's an ongoing, just continue to go back to you and seek your wisdom, seek your throne of grace and to find what we need from you. And God, we thank you, the Holy Spirit that's in us, that yearns to follow your will, Father, desires to conform to the image of Jesus. And I pray, God, you'll help each believer in here to respond to your prompting, to your leading, to your guiding. God, help us not to need primed each and every week, but God, help us to be self-starter Christians who jump in and, and spend time intentionally with you. And out of that flows just a passion and a zeal for obedience and sacrifice. In Jesus' name we pray.